You know, this is what Randy Rapp told me. Randy Rapp. Dang. Dr. Randy Rapp from Purdue University. That, as you describe it, would not be very effective at all. And Pete Consigli, the Global Restoration Watchdog. Consigli Global Watchdog. Um, they contributed the forward. Well, thankfully, with your permission and Pete's help, we took uh, the forward for the book was I repurposed some of their content for So You Want to Be a Project Manager. Oh, dang. Um, and a lot of that will be in this article that we've submitted to CNR Magazine talking about the body of knowledge Dang. body of knowledge Dang. body of knowledge that was published by the Restoration Industry Association it's available for free to all members and a great framework for um, you know structuring your personal and professional development enter an audio visual experience like no other underground rap at its realist mastery we're talking about property restoration mastery there are three levels of knowledge in the restoration industry association body of knowledge familiarity the green comprehend industry specific terminology and general relationships among activities or processes pertaining to the subject without promptly and correctly applying knowledge and skills to solve typical problems or address detailed issues in the subject, even with proper reference material. So you have familiarity. Some of you all have familiarity with um, the uh, education level uh, necessary to thrive in the industry. I realized there was a whole nother universe out there, a whole nother frontier, and the power of the madness and the mania just blew my 24-inch guns out, man. Now there's working knowledge, the blue. With proper reference material, promptly and correctly apply subject knowledge and skills to solve typical problems or address detailed issues in the subject. Working knowledge. And they don't think I know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do. Okay? Uh, and then there's mastery. Without reference material, promptly and correctly apply subject knowledge and skills to solve typical problems or address detailed issues in the subject. Is it possible to learn this power? Helping you shorten your dang learning curve. I'm sure now that you've read some of the book, so you want to be a project manager, you're probably questioning that decision, right? <laughs> no, not in the least. I, I was just honored that that you would even ask me, and uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a wonderful book. So, uh, you know, it's nice to be a small part of that. Well, it brought a lot of credibility, so definitely appreciate, it, and hopefully, it's uh, steered people in the direction of of your book um, to uh, to get. Because ours definitely was not written to be a technical manual, right? It's more um, if you're wanting to get into these things and some of the introductory principles where yours, Disaster Recovery Project Management, Bringing Order from Chaos by Randy R. Rapp. You know, this is what Randy Rapp told me. Is definitely written kind of uh, as a, a manuscript of sorts for project managers. What would you say you do here? here, here. The Diojo Podcast. Podcast. So let's mention your book, Disaster Recovery Project Management, Bringing Order from Chaos by Randy R. Rapp. And that's the Purdue University Press. What what does this guy from Purdue have to, uh, this professor, right, from Purdue yeah. have to say about disaster restoration? But you mentioned um, working in the hurricanes and, and oil restoration. But yeah, when you, when you increase the scope, that thing in Iraq was 
a three quarters of a billion dollars. So if anybody says, what is some professor from uh, Purdue, <laughs> you've got quite the stories to tell. And then you can say, I've, I've seen some things that uh, most project managers uh, and construction professionals will never experience, huh? <laughs> I, I could say that, I guess, John. Yeah, yeah. some things are the same, you know, whether you're yeah. doing a small project or a big one, you know, some of these principles underlie it all. Your, your book highlights those, I think, and you could apply it to something really big or something much smaller. Hey guys! Oh, big gulps, huh? All right. Well, see you later. I think it was IAQA had the Connections magazine, right? That was the the big paper, um, and it was really unique. And I always look forward to reading that. And I think that's where I first heard about what you all were doing, because um, you, if I remember correctly, you're one of the first universities to provide any kind of emphasis on disaster restoration or property restoration. Is that correct? I'd, I'd say so in the context, as you say, of disaster response, as opposed to uh, there might be some programs out there, I think, that do like historical restoration yeah. or archaeology or something. You know, obviously, we're not into that. We're into disaster related issues. Yeah, I found this article and it coincides with the announcement from Purdue uh, Purdue University's Disaster Restoration Specialization to Raise the Bar in Education and the Industry. And this is from Restoration and Remediation Magazine back on June 30th of 2008, 14 years later. Uh, and, and we were the first. I, I, I don't know that there are any others. So students that were going to Purdue, getting their construction management could, you know, add a disaster restoration and reconstruction uh, certificate to their degree. You know, we try to expose them to it and hope that some pick up and some have. Some indeed have gone into the industry. They love love it. Uh, the ones I'm thinking of had been uh, volunteer firefighters. Okay. Uh, you know, and yep. uh, and they went that route. Well, and you said, so you arrived at Purdue in 2008 and almost immediately went to a visit with Bob Bonwell. So if you've been listening to the Joe podcast for any period of time or read any of my books, then you know I have a soft spot for history. We have propertyrestorationhistory.com, propertyrestorationhistory.com. Um, Pete Consigli is a technical advisor for that. Pete Consigli, Global Watchdog. Uh, Bob Bonwell was just spoken of as being key with helping Randy develop the program there at Purdue. Unfortunately, Bob has passed away as of 2020. And so who better than our friends at IEQ Radio to uh, share a uh, the, legacy, the life and legacy of Bob Bonwell. So you'll be hearing, seeing the voice of Cliff Zlopnik um, share that eulogy. Robert Bob Earl Bonwell, age 76, of Indianapolis, passed away on Thursday, April 2nd, 2020. Bob built Advantage Marketing the old-fashioned way, handshake deals, hard work, grit, and determination. Bob led the company through transition from a small carpet cleaning firm to a full-service cleaning and restoration supply house known today as Advantage Experts in Clean with locations in Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan. Bob's motto was, you can't outperform your knowledge. Mm. Bob believed strongly in self-improvement and education, driving him to work with industry colleagues in Purdue University to help develop a degree program in disaster restoration. Claude Blackburn, founder of Dry's Products, reflects by saying, Bob acted with integrity, fair play, sharing, and kindness. Bob was an industry leader, an industry pioneer, always looking for a better way. 
it always seemed to me that Bob found the right balance between integrity, humanity, and good business practices. Pete Kinsigli, known in the industry as the Restoration Global Watchdog, remembers Bob as a one-of-a-kind guy. Bob's work with Purdue is an unparalleled commitment to help raise the restoration bar for posterity and as a legacy that will benefit generations of restorers to come. I remember Bob as a mensch. According to Leo Rostin, author of The Joys of Yiddish, a mensch is someone to admire and emulate, someone of noble character. The key to being a real mensch is nothing less than character, rectitude, dignity, a sense of what is right, responsible, and decorous. The term is used as a high compliment, implying the rarity and value of that individual's qualities. If you'd like to know more about Bob Bonwell, we've added him to our people section for propertyrestorationhistory.com. And I'm submitting an article to Michelle for CNR, um, which will talk a little bit more about uh, Randy and Bob and has some comments from Randy, Cliff, and Pete. Would you say Bob was an educator at heart? or? Yeah, education was a big part of his... uh he was a big advocate for education. You can say that. He also was an innovator. He developed innovative equipment and technology. And that that, that big cube van with the built-in truck mounts, he, he, and you know, and putting a metal shelving in there and how to outfit like a water damage vehicle. That was Bob. Bob was the real originator, innovator. Of that he, he he promulgated that, and then everyone else copied him. Um, so, please feel free to check both of those things out. You arrived at Purdue in 2008 and almost immediately went to um, visit with Bob Bonwell. So was that in your mind then, the disaster restoration component, or was that a particular piece that you were um, trying to bring to the program? I was hired as a strategic hire by Purdue specifically to develop this because uh, generously and kindly, there were 10 entities who had pledged. We, We got these funds coming in and we're able to use those now. As, yeah. an exam- as an example, John, we, we have a young lady coming in uh, for a PhD, and she's going to be, among other things, looking at building information modeling and how that might be adapted to disaster restoration work. Yeah. Uh, as, as I think many people in construction know, BIM, building information modeling, is it's been yeah. with us now for you know more than a decade, maybe two decades in some ways. And so uh, my my concern has always been, you know, how can we adapt this and, and leverage it when it's becoming, you know, so predominant in the industry? Someone said project management is easy. Ha ha ha. Uh, I was just at a mold conference, um, the AML winter break down in Florida. We ain't done yet. Be there. AML winter break. Be square. It's going to be fabulous. And um, what is it, the unhouse on the campus of LSU? Are you familiar with that? I'm sorry, I'm not. Um, I've been to LSU, but, uh, you know, a number of years ago, but I don't remember that. So I misspoke. It's actually called La House. But check this out. Science-based showcase of solutions to shape your future with resilient, healthy, and efficient homes. But they basically have this facility where they test different building materials and configurations against conditions similar to, you know, a hurricane and flooding. And um, oh yes, they've they've developed some protocols on, you know, we believe these are more sustainable or uh, better applications for areas where 
it's anticipated of, you know, some kind of recurrence of a, a natural disaster. But it was really impressive. This was at the winter break uh, 2022, which Pete uh, facilitated, sponsored by AML uh, Laboratories. Um, so you can see kind of line up in the, the ones that presented, I believe they were the keynote uh, the first day. It was Paul Lagrange, Lagrange Consulting Executive Chief Building Science Summer Camp and Claudette Hanks Rochelle, I think I probably butchered that, retired educational professor, director at La House Resource Center. Um, it was a fascinating presentation. And, and I think as people begin to dig into it more and more and we see that it's more systemically focused, it's not just the materials, but you know, yeah. even, even, uh, even the, the building environmental systems, you know, humidity, yeah. air and flow, all those things work together. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure that in, in recent times, you know, as we begin to seal up buildings and houses more and more and more, yeah. it just seems like that has led to some issues that we didn't necessarily have 70, 80 years ago. Right. Yeah, we've, we've uh, solved one problem, but, you know, energy efficiency, but uh, created a whole other host of uh, issues to, to deal with. Yeah. If you enjoy the podcast, then you're sure to enjoy the podcast. We're bringing back a live event. We just exposed Josh Zolin. <laughs> Author Josh Zolin, CEO of Windy City Equipment in Arizona. People that are developing their themselves and their career. Idiot. Trigger words. Stupid. Idiot. It's at the helm. And author of the Blue is the New White, and host of Blue is the New White podcast. I want to read uh, Blue is the New White by the B. Josh Zolan. It wasn't rocket science, right? Idiot. <laughs> Will be joining me for Idiots at the Helm, July 7th, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. A live discussion Idiot. about career development. It will be live, so if you want to comment or make fun of us. That's it. That's it. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Go ahead, try it. Try it. With Josh Zolan and John Isaacs. Idiot. Yeah, uh, I gotta elaborate on that one a little bit. Idiot. July 7th on the DOJO podcast. An audio visual experience like, like no audience. At 12 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, we'll be presenting this live discussion. I'm done. I'm about career development in the skill trade. Exposed. With John Isaacson Idiot. and Josh Zolan. The hell? These powers combine. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Idiot. The hell? I appreciated this opportunity to talk about, about the book. Disaster Recovery Project Management. Bringing Order from Chaos by Randy R. Rapp, and that's the Purdue University Press. You've you've written how many now? Three, or yeah. working on your fourth, and and so um, you know how that goes, and it becomes a, a big part of your life when people get into this because it isn't necessarily a big money maker. Certainly, this book has not what? been. I will drive nothing but Mercedes or Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Are, aren't you independently wealthy now? You can just chill out because of yeah. the books, you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I won't go nowhere on a commercial airliner. I will ride in nothing but limousine. Um, I'm sure yours have sold better than mine, but, but the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, you know, I wanted to know that in the scarce time I had with these students that I was hitting the 
the most important points. Can you talk a little bit about how that process came about and how you um, put your, arranged your book together. You've got the technical and then you've got the managerial. Yeah. And that was the way that generally broke out. And uh, so you see that there, the section two of my book happens to be project management and administration, kind of on the managerial side. Yep. And then restoration techniques, more on the technical side. The, the contractors who've got the good construction experience, but now suddenly they find themselves on a disaster recovery type project, maybe the first time ever. And, you know, I, I know a lot of my, my colleagues out there in the, in the construction specific environment, you know, they figure, hey, I can do any of this stuff. And they don't think I know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do. Okay? And you can. But, you know, if you go with a little bit more knowledge about restoration-related issues, uh, you'll, you'll be able to do a, a better job. And you'll, you'll, that dang, dang, dang curve is going to be a little bit steeper. Yeah. You know? We've mentioned the name Pete Consigli a few times. And hopefully our listeners, listeners are well aware of who... He is, and uh, his prior um, appearances on the podcast. I, there, now, as, as people know, you can talk so much about Pete. and He's been so deeply immersed in this program. Uh, he, was, he was associated with before I ever was hired. Okay. He, he was with Bob Bonwell, I think, back in the 90s. He came here to Purdue, as I recall. But it's interesting always to hear not just about the people at the forefront, but a lot of the people behind the scenes, you know, um, contributing resources, time and effort um, towards elevating the industry. You know, if you want to pursue mastery, what does that look like? And that's um, the title. It's this is all intertwined as this is being released. The article is being formed and reformed and reformatted um, probably everything's backwards but that's just how we do and pete can correct me if i'm screwing up the the works here somehow but i I'm think sure he, he was, will <laughs> I, he was in, immersed with it from the beginning and huh. uh, uh you know he's come back a number of times and given talks to the students he he has helped us so much i i you know what what we have done without him i don't know Pete's called the Global Restoration Watchdog, also Restoration History Encyclopedia or Google. Uh, he's just a walking, his ability to remember dates and times and um, details of history are, are, are quite phenomenal. So here's a little peek into working with Pete behind the scenes to, uh, to funnel out the, the meat of this article that I was trying to put together. The purpose of the article is I want to draw people to the elements that Randy brought out. So we got the body of knowledge, the Randy interview, and then in talking to Randy, he places an emphasis on Bob Bonwell. So I just want to I just want to make sure all of those elements are the body of knowledge. You've got the development of the program at Purdue. In 2010, the RE board gave the approval to develop the body of knowledge, which was done under Cindy. This is, this is that document. There were 10,000 hours over three years. I was involved in the very beginning to help recruit. There were nine people on there. So it was, Randy was one of nine. That's why I referred to him as a gang of nine. 
So this is the next level for the industry to grow. There's a whole lot more to all of this. I mean, this is a whole, you know, this is a two to three hour interview just for me to give you all that history and how how the world about developed. And you get little pieces of it and you're trying to wind it together to, you know, get important stuff out. And, you know, you're good at that and I appreciate that. But when I read the piece, I'm thinking, you know, maybe the the reason why it didn't make sense to me is because I knew too much. But <laughs> 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 I'm thinking, yeah, but it, you know, the puzzle doesn't fit. You know, you got these pieces on different boards. <laughs> Uh, but I think you, I think you helped solidify what the. I think I'm going to change it to quantifying property restoration mastery because I close with that, which might go further up. They talk about familiarity, working knowledge, and mastery. I like that. In those first two paragraphs, you create another little short paragraph. You ought to put in there. I already removed the second paragraph. I said while writing on the passing of industry founding father. Marty King in 2015, Global Restoration Watchdog Pete Consigli stated, the industry is in the middle of a journey to define the profession through the development of two essential elements government and industry used to qualify. Oh, <laughs> when I first started writing articles in a magazine in the 90s, the first ones I ever wrote were with John Downing with Clean Facts. I started writing some stuff for CNR. I remember one of the editors there at the time, she sent me a book. It, it was titled The 29 Most Common Mistakes Made by Writers. And she said, I took the liberty. She put an asterisk next to six chapters that I should read. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but one of the things that I remember, and either she told me this or Marty did, they said, anytime you write an article, it should be based on one fundamental point that you want to make in the article. But oftentimes, people try to put too many points in it. Yeah. The reader. But they said, what he said was, in the very, in the first, opening couple of sentences certainly in the first paragraph the one thing you should and i did this for years in my early writings is said you should tell the reader what the focus of the article yep is. yep okay you haven't done that you know this is what randy rapp told me i said this article is written with input and peer review by cliff Zotnick, randy rapp and pete consigli we hope reading this will fuel your fires for personal and professional improvement bob's motto was you can't outperform your knowledge we have to ask ourselves, is your system dumb by design or is your system suffering from a dumb design? No, no, no more for How to not suck at estimating coming The marketing here is already outdated. We've changed the name of the book at the last minute. It's how to suck less at estimating, but had already recorded module one. I've promised Lisa Lavender for months now that we're going to get it done and Eventually we'll get it done. So here's an advertisement to wet your whistle. The majority of this book, Habits for Achieving Better Project Outcomes, is internally focused. What do we need to do on our side, within our companies, within your own career, to try to offset those things that sabotage project outcomes. You're probably going to take this course and think this isn't really that groundbreaking of stuff. It's not. Oftentimes we have people in the field that are good at the work but maybe aren't good at the documentation and the paperwork. So maybe there's ways that we can work to be more creative in our systems rather than say you've got to do it all. Do it all. You need to do everything. 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 Project management. <clears throat> if I haven't mentioned this already, our book, so you want to be are you a project manager? Project, project, project manager.
keep an eye out for Nolan. Project management. Project management is another one of those roles where you're expected to do so many different things um, that we may be better served to break that into multiple functions or multiple roles. Now, as we talk about in the book, when you break something into multiple roles, there can be some communication gaps. So inherently, every system, every design has its flaws or its areas of weakness that you have to be aware of and supplement for. But let's start with some tough love, all right? Ready for this? Here goes. You're probably going to take this course and think this isn't really that groundbreaking of stuff. It's not. Develop best practices um, so that you can do things excellently. So we want to do it right. We want to do it efficiently. And we want to do it excellently. You cannot. You cannot do it excellently. <laughs> if you want to change your mindset and habits, it all starts with being able to do it right, do it efficiently, and do it excellently. You cannot do it excellently if you first don't know how to do it right. That, my friends, is the Dojo way. You suck. How to not suck at estimating coming soon. So, you write your first estimate, and it's terrible, and you get your teeth kicked in. It gets rejected. But I'm angry. You know, the documentation's not there, the photos aren't there, you didn't use the right F9 notes, you wrote a spaghetti estimate where you just threw all the line items at the, at the wall and hope they stick. Do you want my head to explode? Well, you get those rejections, you realize, okay, some of these are actually pretty reasonable. But let's start with some tough love, all right? Maybe what everybody told me online isn't always 100% accurate <laughs> and so you learn by failing so if you want to improve you'll have to face some hard truths you suck and the reality that what got you here may not be what you need to get here so the the values um, stay the same but the skills and habits and the mindsets may have to change There's nothing like it out there is your system suffering from a dumb design how to not suck at estimating coming soon actually how to suck less at estimating habits for better project outcomes is out it is available it is in it is on amazon you can purchase it now go do it these secrets aren't going to be available for long we came up with the idea that uh, hey maybe maybe we do a survey of the industry to find out what people think is most important oh. and so working in december 08 I contacted Cindy Harris and uh, Pete Consigli got involved. And not long after that, Marty King. If, if Marty were here and walking around, you know, what do you think he would say to the everyday restorer? So the new voice you're hearing is John Pletcher. He is the 2022 uh, recipient of the Martin L. King Award. So they named a reward after Martin, Marty L. King. Cliff Slotnick, who's you know, also an industry icon, uh, wrote four words, igniter of an industry. And if you want to know about him, a great place to start. We have this article linked on propertyrestorationhistory.com, but it's the 2007 Cleaning and Restoration, March 2007, Cleaning and Restoration, Founding Fathers of, of Restoration by our good friend Pete Consigli. The Four Faces on Mount Restoration, Taking the Best of the Past to Build for the Future. And there's Marty right there. So many books and papers being written. I mean, his microscope and 
all this all this laboratory equipment and stuff. Yeah. He was a true scientist. I mean, it was like it was like yeah, yeah Frankenstein, mad scientist, mad not yeah, mad, yeah. but he yeah yeah. yeah. And so what John is, this was a conversation we had after he received the award. He's also working on the fire standard with the IICRC. And he's sharing some of his thoughts and recollections of Marty King. All the research documents were there and all, this, all of his writing. I mean, I, I think it's worth preserving. I really yeah. do. Yeah. And whether this new crop of people that do this work really want to learn more about him they would have the opportunity to yeah yeah if you care about this industry's past as well as its future you should get uh familiarize yourself with starting with propertyrestorationhistory.com but there's there's four words that that's that's exactly how i would describe him yeah he got this industry going to, yeah. into what it is today and <laughs> you know we move forward from there and my very able graduate student jing pan uh she she did a lot of the legwork for the for the survey that we sent out, you know, around 2011, RIA said, "Hey, let's take this this idea of a body of knowledge and and let's let's constitute a, a group of folks to create it uh, to you know to dig into it more." And so the first work on the body of knowledge really became kind of a check on what was done by the so-called Gang of Nine, uh, with that uh, sat together folks from industry. They they were kind enough to include me. I love being with them. I learned so much. It was it was just a wonderful group of people. We spent a lot of time together for three years. Yeah, you know, either Zoom or Adobe Connect, or uh, and then about every six months we'd get together for a long weekend to hash over things. And we came up with the body of knowledge, and you know, we used that original body of knowledge work I did kind of as a check on what we were finding and thinking and deliberating, and finally published for RIA. To me, that that body of knowledge work was the, the most special thing I've been associated with. I was just so thankful to be a, a cog in the wheel there and, and have my two cents that I could contribute. So, so uh, the, the book came out 2011, correct? Correct. And the, the, body, that time. the body of knowledge was published pr just prior to that? Uh, body, uh, my, the one that I did with Jing Pan, we published in a, in a formal paper, uh, the body of knowledge. It was the, the, Survey was in 2009, and we finally get, got it published in 2010. Okay. March of 2011 is when Cindy Harris and other folks decided, hey, let's let's get this body of knowledge going for RIA, for the Certified okay. Restorer. Yep. And, and so these things kind of fell into line, and yeah. they helped reinforce each other. Like anything else, it's, it's no one person. It's usually a combination of people, ideas, meshing interacting that that creates those kinds of synergies yeah. uh, that that really move us ahead huh. uh, and and i mentioned of course uh you know marty king yes i i didn't have a lot of interaction with marty not like the folks that earned their cr from his classes but we, he and i talked briefly a while and he was kind enough to uh, give his stamp of approval to what we were doing with regard to the survey and the body of knowledge. Uh, so it was really those three folks at, shall I say, at, at RIA, uh, Cindy and and uh, Pete and Marty, who really gave us the support we needed. And I think that, you know, we, we got plenty of responses and that made the quality of what we did because of the responses. It was much better. We got a good swath of 
ideas yeah. and opinions. What equipment is essential for me to start my business? Not back in the spray bottle, I'll tell you what. On the social media, it's, you know, you need this laundry list of things. Said around the clock, around the country, versus around the clock, around the block. Not back in the spray bottle. Knocked out the biggest of the biggest. Done, got paid, and got the hell out of it. Annoying, but helpful. Is there some of those common themes um, that uh, you feel are really important as people are either trying to develop their career or get into project management? You know, the, the idea of, of being very well grounded and devoting oneself to, to the technical side of things, learning all that one can, mm. being, being a student for life. And it's not so much maybe in the sense of, oh, am I better than somebody else? Do I know this better? It, it's setting goals for oneself. I look at yeah. what is reasonable for, for me, myself, and I, and I say, okay, this is what we're going to be shooting toward and, and yeah. tailoring our, our behavior that way. At least for me, that's been useful. The technical skills, at least in, in my experience when training people, those are in some ways the easier part to teach the foundation of. But the leadership part of it or the proper management, um, getting to the people skills um, is, is oftentimes the harder part for people. And maybe even, you know, people coming out of college, right? Because they're thinking, well, I know yeah. this is the way things are done. You know, this is what Randy Rapp told me. <laughs> uh, the, the, the students commonly, they, they like something that gives them a formula and they can yeah. calculate through it. And it's a rewarding feeling. Aha, I know yeah. this. I think we might all agree that just like what you're saying, it, it, that important that it is, is kind of a, a secondary or more easily mastered thing. What's tough is the the interpersonal relationships, the observation, being able to walk onto a site and begin to quickly realize what needs to be done. What's yeah. the scope of the work here? The people that I've got, how do I best apply them? And a big one, of course, when we're talking about Hurricane Katrina and Wilma and, and the oil program, the big thing there is logistics hmm. out the kazoo uh, and logistics, logistics, logistics. And, uh, so that's one thing that we've tried to push here at Purdue as a faculty, even. In fact, a later book that we, 10 of us conspired together is uh, Construction Site Planning and Logistical Operations. What you're doing is terrific. I would imagine there's a significant element of your program that deals with time management. Is there... Because I think that's really hard for somebody. You, it's one thing to manage yourself, but when you're starting to manage other people or a whole company or a large project, you know, having that vision and the preparation. I think time is is just so terribly important, and it's one of these things that was pervasive. Uh, you know, my whole professional career. Um, and there was an interesting thing along about 1985. We, we were at the Army Engineer School, a number of us were, and, and we had some weekend professional training. They were good enough every uh, four or five months to set up something on a Saturday. And in one case, we, we went to or we brought in a, an octogenarian gentleman. He was a retired general officer. And uh, he spoke of, you know, time related issues. And I won't go into all the details, but you know, essentially what he said is he picked his commanders, his subordinate commanders on the basis of the, the, the way they managed their subordinates time. He wasn't just looking at, at, you know, what did you get done, but rather 
are these are these younger soldiers just standing around waiting for something? Yeah. yeah. Do, do you care enough about them that you're not wasting their time? Right. Because right. what he what he found, and this is Bruce Clark, is the general officer. He was uh, in George Patton's Third Army. Uh, Patton handpicked him among some others because he was so effective. So you know that's saying something. Yeah. And uh, so Bruce Clark, you know, what he noticed was the 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 subordinates who did not watch out for their people's time got more of those same people killed when they went into, into combat. Uh, it, it's a sense of caring, of giving a a, a real rip about the well being of those people, putting them yeah. putting them first. Servant leadership. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's because so so often we think of like well or. You know, I've been around plenty of managers where it's like now everybody will do what I say, and it's not. It's not that. It's well. What's crazy is everybody will do what I say, but the way they go about it gets so much less buy-in, as opposed to like what you're talking about when people believe that you care about them, and what's like that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to get into all the intricacies of their life, but just hey, I'm not wasting your time when you show up at work. You have a purpose. You know, there's going to be something to do, and. Uh, that's a, that's a really, I think that's a really effective way of thinking of that is, you know, make sure your people have purposeful work. Cause that's, I think that's another key to retention, right? It's, it's not oh, even yeah. this outlet. The Diojo podcast folks should be listening to you. It, just to quote, an old philosopher, Immanuel Kant, experience without theory is blind, but theory without experience is mere intellectual play. So what he's, all he's trying to hit on in his critique of pure reason as it was at the time 300 years ago or whenever, he and other folks at the time, they recognized the importance of both the experience and the theory, not yeah. to bombard people with, you know, highfalutin sayings or anything, but it, it just reinforces to me that throughout history, when yeah. people have really given good thought to it, they have seen that this combination of experience and theory together yeah. are, are powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people say, "Oh, I've, I've, you know, I've done this out on the job, and that's all I need." I'm sorry, my friend, you're, yeah. you're missing out. And people that say, "Oh, I sit here in my um, hallowed halls of higher education, and yeah. I'm, I'm so smart, I know everything." No, yeah, you're, you're you a fool. Test it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, I like to say, doctors of disaster, right? Or, or scientists, <laughs> yeah, right. And so you have to get your fingers in and get dirty and test it out. And so I like that. Like you have to have a theory, but then be willing to test it. And then you have a, a whole lot more to share. What the industry needs is conversations like this. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Will you find my book? The, the book is actually available now on Amazon. How not to suck at estimating habits for better project outcomes. We reveal all the secrets of estimating. <laughs>